Uh, there's some here, God, we've, we've never read it. Uh, there's some here, God, that have tried it and they don't understand it. Uh, there are some who are just overwhelmed. <laughs> Ironically, God, when we open this book and look into it. And some of us, God, are so busy, we just don't seem to have time. But we're going to open it. And we're going to ask you to speak. Not flesh and blood, not a human, but we're going to ask you to speak. Uh, to each of us. And you would touch us. May begin to heal somebody and open our eyes to a new perspective about life. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is only one person that I have found in Scripture that Jesus stopped and pulled him aside and said, Hey, listen. Uh, I, I think that you are overwhelmed. I think you're overscheduled. You're probably exhausted. Only one person. I wonder if anybody right off the, right off the bat, you're thinking, oh, I know exactly who that is. I just wonder if anybody would know. Ah, if you know, write it down. As the friend of Jesus, and it was a woman. Think about it. Her name was Martha. Martha had a sister named Mary and a brother named Lazarus. Interesting little fact. Jesus had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of followers. But he only had about six people that he was really tight with. I mean, really tight. That is, inner circle. Uh, you had the three there. You had, you had Mary. You had Martha. You had Lazarus. This brother, then you had James. You had Peter and John, the disciples. And that was kind of it. And it just so happened that Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they, they lived in a suburb of Jerusalem, a little town called Bethany. That town still exists. And they actually had a guest house. And sometimes Jesus, when he needed a place to stay, he would come and hang out in their guest house just to kind of chill and cool for a while, just kind of be with some friends. And when you get to Luke chapter 10, which is where we're going to be, Jesus has finally got to a place in his ministry where the demands upon him are growing big. I mean, they're huge. I mean, the more he teaches the more people want from him, the more miracles, the more healing, the more time. Uh, they, just, they just want all of him they can get. And on this one particular time, we're approaching Luke 10 here, I think he's feeling a little drained. He's feeling just a little empty, so he pushes the pause button. He calls a timeout. He says, okay, I'll, he retreats to the guest quarters of this little house, and he stops by at his friend's house. And we're going to read what happens here in this experience. This is where we're going to begin here in the Scripture. Let's go put it on the screen. Begin to verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and you're upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, you can see the dynamics of what's happening here from a mile away. And you don't have to be a psychiatrist to recognize that some family draining drama is about to happen. Can I be, we're going to be very direct about some stuff this morning. 
Very clear. Drama is always draining. It drains the person who's being overly dramatic. It drains everybody around them. Jesus has been tired. He's been on the road. He's been teaching, dealing with all of his critics, doing miracles. He's tired. I'm going to go visit my friends. He makes an unexpected visit. They're not prepared for him. But he goes anyway. They're friends. Mary comes to the door. She opens the door. Jesus! Hey, come on in. How's it going on the road? You've been traveling. Hey, tell us about those Pharisees. Are they really that big of a pain? How's it going with those guys? Hey, come on, share. You can share with us. What is shared in Bethany stays in Bethany. <laughs> come on, relax. Tell us what's going on. Martha is in the kitchen. Now, if you ever get these two confused, because I hear people talking about that, which one's Mary, which one's Martha? Just think Martha Stewart. <laughs> Martha's in the kitchen. And she's cooking. She's preparing a meal, trying to attend to the physical needs of Jesus. She's working up appetizers and entree and drink and all that sort of stuff. And Mary's over in the TV room, and she's just sitting there chilling out, catching up with Jesus. And it looks like everything is good. It's all good, right? Division of labor. You got somebody over here uh, taking care of the food deal. You got somebody here being host here to the guy who walked in the door. Hey, everything's good, right? Wrong. It's not all good. Martha's in the kitchen, and she snaps out of the blue. Pow! She blows a gasket. She's ticked. She's hot. She's had enough. Now, I want you to notice what Martha doesn't do. She doesn't peek out of the kitchen and give her sister just some ugly look like you shouldn't be in here helping me. She doesn't say that. And she doesn't stay in the kitchen and just start banging pans as loud as she can, hoping she notices. I know none of you ever do that. She actually goes into the room where they're visiting, and she is hot at her sister. I mean, she is ticked, but she doesn't even talk to her sister. I think that's fascinating, too. She addresses Jesus. Do you remember what she first says to Jesus when she gets there? Lord, Lord, verse 40, don't you care? I think that's so interesting. Jesus, the Son of God, leaves heaven, perfection, lowers himself, humbles himself to come to the earth among drama people like you and me. He goes to the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, for the redemption of our lives. He's been on the road just traveling, teaching, performing miracles, healing, pouring, pouring himself into everyone that he can. And Martha has the audacity to say, 
You cold, uncompassionate guy. Don't you care? Have you ever been so drained, so emptied, you yourself kind of shook your fist to God and said, God, don't you care? That's what Martha was. Then she says, Lord, don't you care that my deadbeat sister, that's not in the text, but I think it fits perfectly. <laughs> don't you care that my deadbeat sister has left me to do the work by myself? I mean, Martha is working herself up into a dither. I mean, she is getting fired up, and she is just getting started. And in my mind, I picture Martha in that kitchen, and she picks up that wooden spoon, and she comes out there, and she's waving that spoon into that room, and she's talking to Jesus, and she's waving, Jesus, don't you care that my deadbeat sister is not doing a blessed thing right now, Jesus? Get her in there to help me. Listen, Messiah man, you order my sister to come in here and help. Now, if I'm Jesus and she's waving that spoon in my face, I'm thinking, I got all sorts of ideas of what you can do with that spoon, girl. <laughs> you may know what I'm talking about. Always be glad I'm not Jesus. I'm glad you're not. I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't throw more drama into the situation. He doesn't get up in her face. Who do you think you are talking to the son of man like that? What do you do? How dare you, woman, talk to me that way? He doesn't throw more fuel in the fire. Look what he says. Verse 41, he just says, uh, Martha, Martha. It's kind of like in modern day language, uh, hey, Martha, hey, back the track up. Slow it down. Take a breath. Take a chill pill. Uh, you're, wor you're worried, upset about a lot of things, Martha. Martha, I just I, can, can I make an observation, Martha? I, I, you know, I'm just kind of been watching you, and it kind of seems like that you're probably overwhelmed right now. Maybe you're overscheduled, and I just kind of popped in and caught you off guard. I don't know. And you also seem pretty whooped, like you're pretty exhausted. And, you're so worried about so many things. I mean, you're just so upset about all these things that, that you think you have to do and everything. Mark, you're making it so, my visit so complicated. You're getting all worked up. Can I just simplify it for you a little bit, Martha? Could I simplify it with you? I think Jesus said. All this stuff you're worried about. If I would have needed a five-star meal... Uh, I could have made that happen. Just a few chapters ago, I fed 5,000 plus people. We had food left over. Hey, not too long ago, I made some awesome Chardonnay at a wedding. <laughs> hey, if food and drink is needed, I can pretty much arrange it anytime I need to. And then he makes this incredible statement. 
Verse 42. But few things are needed. Or indeed, only one, really only one. And Martha, she gets it. She's chosen it. And I'm not telling her to go into the kitchen to help you. And Martha, could it be the, the one thing you really need? The one thing, the one thing you really need. In your sense of responsibility and your anger that you're responsible for everything and you're the only one doing anything and nobody else is. It's all on you. It's all about you. Could it be that the antidote for what you're feeling is to put the spoon down and to come out here in the kitchen, in, in the good room, in the big room, and just have a conversation with me and your sister. Could it be that's what you need to do? In fact, Martha, here's what I want you to do. Put down your spoon and come out here and visit with us. We're going to talk about how great the Father is. We're going to talk about his love, just how good it is. We're going to have a I love this story. There's so much. We just don't have time to unpack everything that's in this story. And one of the things I love about this story is where it's located in the Bible. If you'll notice, right before that story is the story of the parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. And the point of that whole story at the end is this. Hey, when you see somebody hurting, you get up off your duff and you go do something about it. And you help them. You love them. You get active. You become an activist for people that are hurting. And then right after that, he says, but you know what? It's not really all about activism. You can be so busy and be so active that you miss the main thing. That when I come by your house to see you, it's all about relationships. I just want to exchange love and be connected to you. I just think sometimes we, we kind of miss that, don't we? Let me ask you a question. When you, when you came to worship this morning, or maybe even right now, on Tree Worth, online, in the sanctuary, you're right here in the house, the very back at the top, wherever you are, uh, how many of you, don't raise your hand, you would admit that this morning you are overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted far more than you should be. And you know it. You know it. And could it be the antidote, do you think perhaps the antidote, the solution, the resolution for all this that you're feeling could be to have a simple conversation with a man named Jesus who loves you and knows you better than you know yourself and he really does care. Could it be that Jesus was right when he told Martha, 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 Martha. Just put the spoon down. Because what you need for this overdeveloped sense of responsibility, you feel responsible for everything is just to back off. 
breathe. And let me take care of your heart and your mind and kind of calm you down and give you a different perspective of what's really going on around you. And let me ask you another question. What do you do when you hit the wall? What do you do when you're overwhelmed, overscheduled, and you're exhausted, and you're just drained? What do you do? And some of you are going, are you going to tell us? <laughs> Eventually. An idea or two. But I want to help you right now, because sometimes misery loves company, and sometimes you like to know that there's somebody else in a worse position that you're in. So I'm going to tell you, I know of some people who are more exhausted and more drained and more overwhelmed than most of the people in this room or those who can hear my voice or wherever you're watching or listening from, and that is church staff. People who work in a church, I will tell you, it is almost the state exhaustion is pandemic. Around the world, denominations, all denominations, all cultures, all styles, you name it. I have phone calls from pastors, have encounters with pastors, with pastor staff, with, with their spouses, and with our own staff. I know it's true. So much so, last week at our all-staff meeting, I rarely do something like this. I said, church staff, I know on the weekend you're all busy and you're doing stuff and you're here and you're here, but I want all of you to pick one worship time where you're not working. Take off the clock and just come and be in worship. This is how strongly I feel about this. It's what we're doing for the next two or three weeks because it's a real problem. But I know a lot of you deal with it too. So we're going to try to give you a tool to help you a little bit rethink and recalibrate where you are in your life, very practical on this little issue, okay? Of being overwhelmed, overexhausted, we're trying to expunge this from our lives. So here's the kind of the tool. I want you to think about your life as being like a bucket, okay? I'm not an artist, we all know it. Not my gift. And your life is required for you to have energy for you to live your life. And there are four sources of energy. It's been proven, doctors, psychologists, medical folks, uh, theology, all four agree. You have pri four primary sources of energy into your life, into the bucket of your life. That is physical, uh, emotional, mental, And spiritual. And the first question I want to ask you to wrestle with in your own life, what does it feel like? Let's talk about the positive. What does it feel like when you are full? That's an F for full. When you are living up here, physical energy, emotional energy, mental energy, spiritual energy, what, do you, what does it feel like when you and God are tight, when, you're, when you are connected to Jesus Christ? What does it feel like when your mind is clear? 
you're rested and your mind can think and process ideas. What does it feel like emotionally in your family when all the family, everybody's good to go and life is just happening rich in all your relationships and physically, right? When your body feels strong and you're, you got energy and strength in this thing called the body to do. What, what is life like when you're full and your bucket is living up here? Think about it for a minute. I want you to get in touch with a time in your life when you were here. Think about it. And think about how you were. Now here's what I know. When you're living up here on all four of these cylinders especially and you're full of energy bucket, everything is ginning and hauling great up here, uh, you're living your best. When I'm living up here and I'm connected with God, I pray my best prayers. I can read the Bible and stuff just pops out. Uh, I see God everywhere in the littlest of things. I can see God working and moving and doing stuff. I mean, I just, I can see, I can just aware of the whispers of the Holy Spirit continually. Uh, when, when people are here, when I'm living up here mentally, man, I make good decisions. I don't second guess my decisions. I'm definitive. I'm ready. I'm making, and I push on. I feel good about it. No lot of second guessing. Emotionally, man, when you're filled up emotionally, all full of the love of God in your life, when you come home, you just love your spouse well. You love your kids well. Even if you're tired, you love them well. Love just pours out of you. You're feeling good. I've heard people say, when my, when my emotional bucket is full, I love perfect strangers well. I love people I don't even know well. I mean, Cowboy fans even love Giant fans on the opening day. I mean, they, they love Redskin fans. They, they love Philadelphia people. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> that when you're at that spot, how you love people. And it's not that hard. Physically, when you're living up here, you're making good choices of what you eat. You gotta, you're not overscheduled. You're exercising. You're going to bed at a certain time. You're waking up at a certain time. You're taking care of this temple that God has given you. Here's what I know. When you're living up here, you're living your best life. You're living the abundant life. John 10, 10, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. You live a life that peace that passes all understanding. The world can be collapsing all around you, but you have a peace that doesn't make any sense. You can be content, as Paul says, in any and every situation when you're living up here. I mean, you just got it. And here's what I know about all church staff. We've got any church staff in this particular worship time. Church staff, when you're working up here, you're more creative. You're more flexible. You're more open to the moving of the Spirit. And quite frankly, you're easy to work around. <laughs> Same for me. Now, I want you to think of a time, some of you, when you've lived your life right here, and if you can think of a time that you've been right here, you, that means you can say, it can be done. It can be done. It can. 
But then so many of us, we spend so much time living way down here where we're drained, where we're on empty. I mean, we are just totally empty of this one of these or all of these or some bad mixture of these. And boy, we're drained. We're living down here. And when we live down here, I want you to come to a time in your life, think about it. How are you? What kind of person are you? Think about it. Here's the first word that I experience of people that live down here. It's the most prominent word. The word is resentment. When you live down here for very long, you resent people. You resent situations. You resent jobs. You resent work. You resent a lot of stuff. You're like Martha, right? You're like Martha, who resented her sister not coming in to help. And she gets out that spoon, and she's flashed in the head of Jesus. She's resentful that her sister won't come in, dominoes won't deliver, and the disciples won't clean the dishes. She's ticked, resentful. How many of you been there? Don't raise your hand. Here's another one, easily irritated. Don't raise your hand. How many of you, little thing happens, real little thing, pow, big explosion. Some people withdraw. They become a loner. They get really quiet. You become passive. You retreat. Silent treatment. Some people overeat. Some people overdrink. Some people overmedicate. No hands need to be raised. I'm ashamed to admit it, but here's one of the things that sometimes happens to me when I get down here. When I get down this low, one of the things that I do, I just lower my head and I kick it into another gear and I work harder. I push myself with no mercy. And I just push my head down to the grind and I'm just pushing, 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 pushing. And I'm pushing so hard I got this look on my face and I'm just so determined to get this done. And all the staff around me, they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Because I'm pushing them too. And more, they're going, whoa, man, you can tell there's something wrong. I just gotta, and I know that's not a good thing. I mean, I can be walking down the hall, right? And someone's whistling on staff, and I go, hey, listen, what are you whistling for? We got work to do. Get in my office. I'll give you something else to do. You're, you're, you're too, too happy. You know. <laughs> I know nobody else does that, right? I'm not proud of myself when I allow myself to get there. That's not good. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at home. Some people, sometime when they get this drink, they start overthinking everything. They, their mind goes into overdrive. Think, 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 trying to solve it and figure it out, thinking that they have the ability, the superpower in their mind to figure out exactly why Mary's not coming into the kitchen and going to make all that happen, and I'm doing it all. And you just overthink, and the people around you go, would you please stop thinking? Just to stop. Just stop thinking for a while because you're driving us all crazy. You're spinning the place, spinning the place, spinning the place, spinning the place, spinning all the place. Some people, when they get down here, they escape into movies. They get lost in their phone. They binge on Netflix. They just, some people go into pornography. Do you know that one of the main causes of the pornography of people who are living down here exhausted, that they're so exhausted they don't have the energy needed to have a healthy physical and emotional intimacy with their spouse? And so instead of finding the energy to get healthy, they just go the dark way. Happens all the time. 
affairs, not just one, but two, but three, from woman to woman to woman, from man to man to man, just because they're just, just looking for something because they're so empty and so drained. Is it safe to say when you and I are living down here that we're living less than our best? Would you agree with that? And yet that's where so many of us live. I've been there. I'm ashamed to say, I'm ashamed to say some of the ways I've acted when I've been there. I remember years ago, years ago, before we had Saturday night worship, we just had Sunday worship, and we didn't have, even have the ark. We had the sanctuary. And uh, I would work on my message on Saturday morning, spend some time with the family in the afternoon and cook hamburgers, and then I would work some more. So on this particular Saturday, uh, the family, early in the morning, after I cooked pancakes, they said, Dad, uh, why don't you go to the office and work? Huh, why? Well, you seem a little edgy. In other words, Dad, why don't you go inflict yourself upon yourself and let us here alone? It'd be better for you not to be here. I said, okay, I will. <laughs> so I got my stuff, and I got in the car, and I'm walking to the car. I said, I'll just go work by myself. Y'all don't want me around the house. Think I'm a little short and a little edgy and everything like that. And I'm walking to the car. We had this little dog, this schnauzer named Hatcher. The dog ran and hid under the bed. The dog knew I was drained. <laughs> so I said, now you pet me. So I get in the car, and I got my spoon, and I'm going, my family just doesn't understand how hard I work. I just got all these things to do, and I'm trying to help people. I got an important job. I got people who need me, and I got to do this. And this message got to be just right, blah, blah, blah. I'm, right, I'm having the spoon. And then I think about the, the church elders, right, who just, if they would just make quicker decisions and all this sort of stuff, and I'm kind of doing all that. I'm just kind of, and then all of a sudden, I go to a place the church staff. Man, they're just, if they would just get it, and I wouldn't have to do this. And, I, and then I started thinking about you people. I thought about the church body, and I reached in the back of my car, and I took out this boat oar. I just started swinging that boat or going, those people just think I'm a serving machine. They don't really love me. I get no underwear on my birthday or anything like that. You know what I'm just, oh, whiny, whiny. Has anybody ever been there? Where you just got so drained, you just lost it a little bit. Ah. And then I get to my office, right? And my refrigerator is empty. I got an office with a refrigerator and food, and it's empty. I said, what else can go wrong? I'm hungry. So I have to go to the store. And I go to the store. I get my bag of groceries. And I'm impatient. I'm already behind. I got to get this message worked on. It's just terrible. And I notice that there's this guy in a wheelchair that's going to arrive at the door exiting the same time as me. I calculate his speed, my speed, his angle, my angle. And I thought, that's going to slow me down another 25 or 30 seconds. I'm going to have to help that guy get out the door, get into his car. And then all of a sudden I went, Rick, what's happened to you? Helped the guy out of the car, got in my car, drove around the corner to the church, went and sat in the sanctuary. And I thought, man, that's not right. You shouldn't be thinking. What, what, how did you get there? How did you get there? Am I still a Christian? Should I even show up tomorrow to preach tomorrow? I mean, man, that's just, that's just sorry. Now, how did I get it? It's kind of like a drunk, right, a beer drinker who wakes up in their neighbor's wheelbarrow at 3 o'clock the next morning, you know, and they go, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't raise your hand on that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was going, how did I get here? How'd this happen? It just sneaks up on you, right? And then God started hitting me right in the face. And I decided I'm never going to go here again. I'm never going to go because I know when I'm being drained. I know when it's happened. I'm never going here again. I'm going to fight to live up here. And please listen to me. If you're someone this morning who's going to make a decision, I'm going to live up here. You've got to fight to live up here. You've got to fight. And here's what I know. I disappoint some of you. You ask me to do stuff. You ask me to do your wedding, to do your funeral, to visit your visit so so in the hospital, or to go call this person. And and sometimes I, I want to do it all. I mean, I really want to. I love you, and I love my job. I got the best job in the world. But sometimes I got to say no, and sometimes your church staff has to say no. You know why? Because they're going to live down here the whole time and won't be good for anything if they do. And I'm going to tell you, if you choose to live up here, you're going to disappoint some people in your family, in your life. Because even people who love you, when they live down here, all they care about is you filling them up. And they don't even realize it's draining you. You are going to have to fight for your own life. And you're responsible you're responsible, not your wife, not your kids, not your husband, not your neighbor, your boss. If you're living down here, that's on you, and that's on me. And I don't know, all of you may not be here, but I know some of you are. I know for a fact some of you are, because I've had the phone calls, and I've had the conversations, and it's ugly. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop right here. We're going to stop. And if you're here, I ask you to hear the words of Jesus. Put down the spoon. Come out of the kitchen. And let's have a little conversation. So I'm going to give you some homework, okay? Here's your homework. Here's your first piece of homework. I want you to think of somebody that you know that lives down here. That lives down here. Somebody that's exhausted, that's drained. I want you to bring them with you next weekend. I want you to say, Whew, man, this is really, I want you to come back and be with us. Because uh, you, it's just somebody you love and care for, right? Because next week, I'm going to give you, we're going to talk about how some strategies, how to live up here. What does that look like? What does the Bible say? So we're going we're gonna to work on that. So bring somebody with you. I mean, that's how you get filled up is by God using you to bless somebody else. That's number one. Number two is, I want you to do, do this bucket this week. I want you to look in your life steps, follow the life steps on the back side of your message notes, and draw you a bucket and kind of measure where are you. Uh, are you here? Are you here? Maybe you do it for all four of these. Maybe you do it just for one. And just do a hard self-analysis on where you are with this bucket. Do a hard look. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, I'm an overachiever. I want to do it right now. Some of you are thinking you're procrastinators. Oh, I'll do it right before I walk in next Sunday. And some of you are saying, I'm not going to do it at all. Because I don't come to church for some stinking pastor to tell me what to do. And so I'm just not even going to do it. So afterwards, it finally... I'll draw your own bucket because I know where you are. You're already right down here. <laughs> I'm just saying, that, if that's you, that's where you are, okay? I know. I know. I know. So we're going to take a minute. The music's about to play. And I'm going to ask you, just take two or three minutes. You go, ah, Pastor, I don't have time. 
just to be still. Draw your bucket, maybe. Show it to your spouse. Show it to your son or daughter, somebody around you, a friend, and go, do you think that's where I am? What do you see? Okay, take a few minutes, and I'm not going to end it with an amen. You can stay. The music's going to play. You can linger for a little bit. You can linger a long time. And just kind of reconnect with the one who really loves you and just be still for a few minutes. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to let you do that. Then you linger, then you can go have some fun. But first of all, God, uh, there's some folks in here that are pretty depleted. They're pretty empty. They're pretty drained. And their family knows it. I pray, God, this morning now they know it. It's my prayer, God, that if we just kind of sit here for a few moments in your presence, that you'll begin to fill up some buckets and you'll make us aware of the brutal facts of what we need to do to be full again.